Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together to hear your word and to be reminded of who you truly are. Lord, help us to let go of the worldly perceptions of you. Help us to let go of those perceptions of you that we have developed through our interactions, through the news, through our life experiences that are not true. But Lord, help us to hold on to the truth you give us, a truth that really does set us free from being burdened by life, by being burdened by sin, by being burdened by having to perform. And gracious God, open up our hearts and minds to hear how we are good enough for you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Have you ever felt that you were not good enough at times? Have there ever been occasions where you felt, I'm not living up to expectations? My life has been this one of being good enough and not good enough. I grew up in the wrong side of town and unfortunately all my friends were on the better side of town. So they didn't have to say anything to me, but I just had this feeling I wasn't good enough. I barracked for the wrong football club. At that time they were called South Melbourne, they're now called Sydney Swans. In our school of about 800, there was only about four or five supporters. And we were never that good. I had nothing to boast about. No South Melbourne supplier came up to our area. As a sports person, which my family was, has called me to pastor, and I go to seminary, a place where we get taught about grace. And the first six months, I didn't feel good enough at all. I got assignments back with more red pen than you could imagine. And it wasn't helpful criticism. It was kind of, the impression was you're not good enough. And yet along this journey of life and along this journey of faith, the message of the gospel has reached me through my parents, through caring Christians, through people who love me to remind me I am good enough. So I'd ask the question is, and I've had to reflect on this and continue to grow in this, how I'm, how Am I good enough? Now, at one stage, I tried to prove that I'm good enough by working hard, long hours. And I still like working long hours, but it's not to prove I'm good enough. There's another reason I do that. But the reality is, this question is a question that bugs many people. Am I good enough? And so today, I want to explore how we are good enough for God. This text here is probably my levelling text, the text that keeps pulling me back into a reorientating me back into a clearer thinking about life. And particularly when I do think I'm good enough and you're not. Because listen to this text. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Whenever I'm thinking I'm better than somebody else or somebody sinned and that they need to be condemned, this is the text that reminds me, well, I sinned too. But then we go on to here, it's not just about sin, it's about, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. It reminds me that no matter how bad life has got, no matter how difficult things have happened, that there is hope. It reminds me that our confession of sins that we have in church is not primarily about identifying my sins, or you identifying your sins, although that's helpful, but more importantly about hearing God's grace because of those sins. But there's two unhealthy ways 
to approach this idea of, am I good enough? And one of those is the very arrogant, prideful way that says, I'm good enough. Look at me. Look what I've achieved. Look how hard I work. Look how perfect I get things. In fact, I'm better than others. Look how well I've done things. And it even creeps into the Christian church at times. Sometimes we can talk about we are better than others. C.S. Lewis makes this comment about this sort of attitude and he says this, a proud person is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. You cannot see something that is above you. You cannot see God. You know, we've all probably encountered the proud person. You know, in Australia, the Australian way of dealing with a proud person is what's called the tall poppy syndrome. Let's criticise them. Let's look for their fault. Let's look for how they go. But this continues elsewhere. Just about every day I hear stories of people who are trying to do well in what they're doing and all they're copying is criticism. I do a lot of work in the leadership area and one of the things that keeps popping up is good leaders don't go around criticising people so they look, make themselves look better. Good leaders go and help people lift themselves up and they criticise people in a graceful, caring and helpful way. That's one way to think about how I'm good enough. I've done all this. I've achieved all this. And you may have achieved things. You may have done things. But what's important to keep in mind that what you've achieved is all a gift from God. But this other way that can often happen and does happen to people when I ask a question, am I good enough, is that I'm not good enough. I'm a failure. I'm not loved enough. I'm rejected. And this often happens to people who are struggling. Struggling in life because all that's happened is that their life, no matter how hard they try, they seem to be criticised. No matter how much they do, they always come third or fourth. And sometimes this can lead to drastic, terrible things. Julian Chachavian, and I probably haven't quite got his surname right, I've been practising for a while. Um, he, his background, I'll give you his background. He was a Presbyterian pastor who people say fell from grace not once but twice of a large church in America um, through immoral acts. He now pastors a church called The Sanctuary, which is for a church that is basically for people who are broken, who feel they're not good enough. I remember many years ago going to um, a, a pastor's conference gathering where there was plenty of conservative Lutheran pastors who usually say, we don't want to read anybody else's material but Lutheran materials. And yet they were reading his because they said he's almost Lutheran if he's not Lutheran in the way he approaches because of his attitude to grace. The other part of the story, you may be interested, why he's become so significant in some ways, he's Billy Graham's grandson. And so his whole ministry, his whole focus now is around this idea of God's grace is important. And he says this on one occasion, 
behind that accusing internal voice that whispers, look at what you have done, is the absolving external voice that shouts, look at what I, God, have done. The cross of Jesus is always and forever there to repeat over and over to our forgetful and unbelieving hearts that God meets our guilt with his grace, our shame with his salvation and our regret with his redemption. And so we can either approach life and live life with this attitude that, yes, I'm good enough because I've got there all by myself and if people only worked as hard as I am, they would be there. Or we can approach life with the attitude, no, I'm not good enough and I never will be and terrible and life's a disaster. And that second one is really what was one of the things that inspired or affected or caused or led to the Reformation. You see, Martin Luther, before discovering the gospel, was living in a context where the church, the way it did ministry at the time, the main message that was heard was you are not good enough. You haven't paid enough money for your sins to be forgiven. And so they'd had this thing called indulgences and they'd encourage people. Or your grandpa who died hasn't paid enough money so they're unlikely to be in heaven. And they also had this attitude was you're not a priest, therefore you're not good enough no matter where you're serving. And this affected Luther personally. You know, he's a monk, he was a Catholic monk at the time and he became obsessed with confession. Not just, I've sinned, but obsessed. And his obsession um, led to him being nicknamed the crazy monk amongst his other monks. They had an issue with him and it's because he would never think he's confessed his sins enough to be forgiven. He had this, in those days, um, what was quite popular, but still popular amongst some pastors today, they have what they call a confessor father, another priest or a monk they'd go to confess sins privately. And the gentleman's name was Storpitz. And Storpitz, one day, is reputed to say something like this. Not exactly these words, because I'm going to probably Australianise it a little bit. Come on, Luther, wake up to yourself. I'm sick of hearing all this stuff. You keep talking and talking about your sins. Go and commit a real sin. because he was so obsessed. But the other thing that this obsession with sins, uh, confessing sins was about, was also a thing called penance. And penance was about doing things in response to, the, for your, to get your forgiveness. And so he would, there's a movie that was out a few years ago called Luther that shows Luther would scrub and scrub and scrub the floor even though it was perfectly clean. He's quoted as saying at one stage... What can I do to win a gracious God? Oh, my sin, my sin, what shall I do with my sin? And so this affected him greatly until, like every monk should be doing, he engaged with the scriptures and he read the scriptures and he discovered the gospel. And he discovered there was... a better way, a more truthful way to understand God and life, a more accurate way which says you are good enough but not based on what you do but based on what God is doing for you. And our reading from Romans chapter 3 which is one of the passages that he has written on 
on a number of occasions says this, For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. If you want a simpler version of that, the CEV version, which is written mainly for a primary school reading level, says this. We see that people are acceptable to God because they have faith, not because they obey the law. And so this gospel that Luther became was a personal journey, ended up becoming a worldwide journey. His personal faith then affected everything else and the way he approached life and the way he approached the church. So much so that um, it got him into trouble because he didn't want to break away and start a new church. What he did was confront the church and they probably thought he was some young upstart. But he was confronting the good order of the church from their perspective. He was upsetting the routines they had in place and the things they put in place. And they asked him to recant on some of the stuff he said. And there's a famous thing of, if you don't know the story, he, he nailed 95 theses or ideas about what the church should be thinking about to the, a wall, a, a, a door in Wittenberg that kind of sparked everything. That was kind of the internet of the town. And, the, and this idea that life with God is about the gospel took off. And that's why we have the Lutheran Church. Not because we want a division, because what ended up happening was he was removed, excommunicated from the Catholic Church. And so this following spread, and it spread widely throughout Germany, and it spread widely to countries like in Scandinavia. And I think if you go to Iceland now, it's still around 90% of the people there say, I'm Lutheran because they've held on to this message. Now, whether they fully agree or accept is another matter, but there is this strong influence that has helped, happened. So the truth is, we are good enough. You are good enough. But it's not because of what you do, and it's not because of what you don't do. A number of years ago, I was in a Lutheran congregation elsewhere, and we were talking about doing something, and they said, oh, we better not do something that because we might make a mistake, right? Some people avoid, say, I'm not going to do things so I can avoid sin, but that can actually be sinning by not doing stuff because you're not showing God's love. But the reality is we are good enough because of what God does for you. It is simple as that. The whole main Christian church is around that message. That we will have a future to look forward to with God because of what God has done for us. It's not about us having the right understanding of stuff. Because one of my problems as a pastor occasionally I come across, particularly with older, very older people who have been brought up in Australia, um, is they are fearful of doing things like praying. And I allowed, and I said, why? Oh, because I might get it wrong. And when you hear this story, you can understand how that's developed. It's because they had a Christian upbringing which was very strict about getting things right. A, number, a very wise um, bishop once said, one of the problems we have in the church is we want to keep order and we want to keep putting rules around things 
We're going to keep putting more morality. But the irony is, the more rules we have about being graceful, and the more rules we have about good morals, the more sin that keeps happening, and the less graceful we are as a church. I think that's true for us as individuals as well. The more we hold on to rules, the less graceful we become. But there's also another little twist in this journey of being of God's grace is that not only is this grace something we get, but it's a grace that's something God wants everybody to receive through us. And so you are good enough to share this grace with even others. I'm not quite sure how you treat gifts, whether you treat gifts just for yourself or whether you see gifts as something, yes, they've blessed me, but how can I bless others with? I was very fortunate that my father was heavily involved in sport in a country town um, and in administration. And one of the things he used to do is like to bring up some superstar cricketers to um, the country town and he was always thankful for the, the more notable cricketers who would accept. And I remember one of them, um, or two of them I remember now, in fact, who came up and because they had a gift of cricket, they had a profile. But they also wanted to teach young people cricket. And do you know what happened? people who were never interested in cricket came to these coaching clinics and they used their gift not to benefit just themselves but also to benefit a community. And that's the same thing we've got this opportunity to do is to use this gospel, this gift that God has given us, this gift of that God has made you good enough to bless others, to help them know that they're good enough. So what does this mean for us in living the faith? What does this gospel message, seeing life through the eyes of the gospel, mean for us? First of all, no matter how bad things are, no matter how much we sin, no matter how much we are judged, Jesus, God's embodiment of love, is always greater and stronger. Jesus will always forgive us. The true message of Jesus is not about making you live up to a better standard, but about you knowing you are loved by God. Secondly, who we truly are is because of what God has done and God is doing and how God goes about life. Now, the truth is for most of us, we live in situations where we do need to perform. We are judged every day and we can sometimes come home thinking we're not good enough. We can sometimes be with family and think we're not good enough. But that's when we put that as the most important thing for our identity. If we then turn around and put God's love for us, God as our loving Heavenly Father, as the number one thing, then we can be the person who lives under grace at work, the person who lives under grace elsewhere, the person who lives under grace with a difficult family, and we can be the person who says... Well, I might not be good enough here, but I am good enough for God. And he's proven that to me through Jesus. He's shown me he loves me. Thirdly, what about this idea of confession and repentance? You know, some people kind of think, oh, yep, I'm good enough, I don't need to repent. 
I remember a, a fairly famous politician, someone asked him, he says, what it means for you to be a Christian? Do you go and confess sins? He goes, I don't think I've got any sins to confess. And I kind of laughed. Well, repentance is recognising we need God's forgiveness. Okay. Luther had this habit every day of just spending time going through the Ten Commandments and the Apostles' Creed and then praying and asking for God's forgiveness every day and asking for God's help to live a loving life every day. But repentance is seeing that through the gospel, that God will forgive us. He's never not going to forgive us. I remember speaking to an ex-prisoner one day who came to my church that I was at and, he's, and I said, well, what's, how's the gospel affected your life, changed your life? And he said, well, I know I've got a rap sheet that I cannot get rid of. I know some people will continue to avoid me and judge me. And I know I'll continually sin, but hopefully not in a criminal way. But I also know God loves me constantly. And that should be our view with repentance and confession. Is that, yes, we confess. It's not for God's benefit, it's for ours, so we know how much God loves us. And lastly, so what do we do about works? What do we do about doing good things for people? Believe it or not, I've come across some Christians who say, I don't have to do good works, I'm not saved by them. Well, that's not actually consistent with Scripture. What is, this, is consistent is we follow God's commands and do things, not to earn his love, but because we are loved. It's like those cricketers. They didn't come up and coach just to get a little bit of money, although they were paid. They didn't come up to coach to show off. They came up because they had a talent to be able to share with others. So can I encourage you this week to think about this gift that you have, this gift that God loves you and makes you good enough, and it's because of God's love that he continues to make you good enough, how you can share that with others, even those who don't deserve it. So I'll leave you with this. Live knowing that because you are good enough, that you are good enough because of Jesus. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love that never gives up. A love that says to us we are welcome into your family. That life is truly about the grace you have for us. And that everything else falls around that. Lord, help us to recognise how much you love us. Help us to let go of any other perceptions we have of you that take away grace, that remove grace from our relationship with you. And Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing you are to us and help us to be a loving blessing to others so others get to know about the love you have, a love that never gives up. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.